Where are all my friends? What is up? We are back and it feels so good. This week's guest is Ernie Gilbert. Ernie is a director and editor who started in music doing music videos, still does them, but has also branched out and done an incredible amount of work in television, directing short films, and doing really, really big music videos. So he is kind of the perfect guest and the exact kind of person that I want to talk to on this podcast. When I started it, that was the whole idea, talk to people primarily in the music industry that took these risky yet rewarding journeys and how they paid off and how they played out. So that's that exact story. And we get into his story. We talk about the very beginnings, how he finds music videos and filming and just all of that. And then how he continues to move to Los Angeles, how he starts direct or uh, editing on television shows, getting into that. I don't want to spoil too much. Obviously, we'll get into it in the episode. At the tail end of the episode, I do want to touch on this and talk about it. It was such a cool, positive conversation with so many pieces of motivation and actionable items to get going or to get you out of a rut or really just a whole lot of insightful information at the very end. So beginning, you learn his story and you hear how he got there. And then towards the tail end of it, there's a lot of great advice that works for really anybody that's trying to start in any kind of creative field. So I had a ton of fun with this episode. Felt like it was just a perfect representation of what I want to do with the podcast. Uh, I think that pretty much says it. I do want to keep these intros short. The last thing that I always ask is share the episode if you like it. It seriously helps the podcast grow so much. I don't do any ads or anything like that. I just like people to spread the word and promote it with word of mouth. So if you like this episode, please share it on your socials. Please let a friend know. If you happen to be listening on Apple, hit it with five stars, leave a nice review. That super helps it get found in that discovery algorithm, however that works. I think that really says it all. Again, thank you for listening. Feels good to be back. Hope you enjoy the episode. When I started this, I wanted to talk to everyone in the music industry, all sorts of different areas, different facets, like wherever people were doing cool things, I wanted to talk to them. We met forever ago. I'm sitting down with Ernie Gilbert, and we met forever ago, probably 2010, and he was doing music videos for bands. Since then, he has really built the resume and done some other super crazy stuff. So I'm excited to tell the story of somebody on that side of creatives because I haven't really had anyone like you and you're cool. such a qualified person to do that. So <laughs> this so. <laughs> is this is the spot where you get to sweet brag a little bit. So tell me what you're up to now, some of the projects you've worked on yeah. and then we'll get into the story. I guess most recently I I just did a holiday campaign for American Eagle. Wow. Um, a stand-up special for HBO for Lil Ralph Howery, a uh, stand-up special for Jeff Garland for Netflix. Um, I'm doing a commercial right now that's an NDA commercial, so I can't say what, oh, dang. but it's a video game company. You've probably heard of them. Um, last year I got, uh, the VMA nomination and we won the Grammy for this is America for childish Gambino. That's right. You worked on that. That was huge. It was a lot of fun. Um, I got to do some stuff for childish at Coachella this year, directing and editing. And, um, those are the most recent things. I also have You've worked done some TV stuff too, right? Yeah, I've worked in television. Um, I was an assistant editor on Atlanta, on Baskets, on Barry, um, an Eagle Heart, a show called Eagle Heart back in 2013 Damn. on Adult Swim. Um, so yeah, so basically, since moving to LA, it's just been kind of this nonstop flow of 
television, but then still doing music videos. That's so sick because when we worked together in 2010, it was set it off (laughs) and it was a band freshly signed to Equal Vision, an indie label, and you were living in North Carolina. Yep. I was in North Carolina. And you did an amazing video for us, but then there was this level of, you know, like we just kind of stayed in touch and you moved to LA and it was yeah. kind of one of those things where on social media, I'm like, wait, I'm sorry. What? Like, this is America. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite artists. What? So like, it's so cool to see that happen, you know? And it's so cool to see that happen with somebody that really does have the talent in Thank the you. eye. So I'm excited to hear your story more than the little bits that I know. Thanks. Yeah. So where I love to start it is wherever you feel like that creative journey started, right? Some people, it's middle school, high school, maybe you found mm-hmm. a hobby, whatever. Right, I, mean, right. I guess it's a little bit different with everyone. So I'll let you take the lead from there. Like, where do you think that you started to find an interest in your craft? So for me, I was kind of on this weird path, not weird, different path. Um, I was in high school. I was doing debate team and moot court. And I was like, I'm going to go to law school in D.C., become a lawyer. And you were growing up in? North Carolina. Yeah. Um, And then I'm going to become a politician. Whoa. And it's a very different path. Well, I just, I like, I really enjoyed debate. I really enjoyed kind of the logical argument of pulling from uh, previous, you know, uh, I'm not even remembering the words. It's a good thing I'm not doing it. Um, oh, like specific debate words. And well, like, yeah, yeah. You just, you would, you would have to pull from like the, the history of law uh, when you're debating something. Right. So like the idea would be you pull from old court cases. So like the precedent from this thing. led to this and that's how we can make this decision now. Um, So I just really enjoyed the logic of that. But then I was doing uh, this thing called the early college at Guilford in Greensboro, North Carolina, where we took college classes instead of high school classes on this college campus. And they offered a documentary filmmaking class, which ended up filling some elective towards my high school graduation requirements. We were given high eight cameras. We were given like final cut. I think it was 2.5 or maybe been two on these it was the emac it was like the the crt emac that had like yeah. a dvd loading tray in the front of it like one of the not one of the first apple computers but like no but when, when you think of like the modern era of apple those colorful the color ones yeah yeah and so i mean i i you hear those stories of filmmakers who are like, Oh, I was a little two year old shooting, you know, my brothers or whatever. I, I didn't really do that. We had a cameras as, as kids growing up and I would film my brothers and I like wakeboarding, but I never had the, I mean, ironically, I never had the, the gumption or the, the idea to edit it. Interesting. I just like, I liked figuring out like, Oh, the camera's got like an echo or a sepia tone or black and white. It had like a cool effect. Yeah. But the idea of like, this can cut into this can cut into that never crossed my mind until this documentary filmmaking class at the college where I was like, Oh wait, damn, (laughs) this is cool. That's nuts too. And so what ended up happening is I would skip my other high school classes to go into this computer lab to like slice up the stuff I was doing. And so my first documentary was about the ultimate Frisbee team that the college had fucking awesome. I don't remember any of the interviews. I don't remember anything about it other than the fact that I cut a montage intro to let's push it forward by the streets. 
which is a, an amazing like British rapper. Yeah, dude, I love the streets. That's I think so it, I think he was ahead of his time, to be honest. I well, I don't even know. Is he still doing stuff? I don't think so. I mean, there's stuff like as recent as maybe 2015. Or okay, 16. but I think he would have like killed it right now. Yeah, because but back then it was like this was finding the streets. I remember finding the streets on MySpace, and I was like, this shit's sick. And like you felt like that like super cool kid that knew that like low key thing. It was it was super secret. I think. It, my friend's parents had like real player Rhapsody or something. It was like the yeah. OG Spotify and we found it on that. So I cut this montage to that song. Ultimate Frisbee. And I think that's what like unlocked it for me where I was just kind of like, not only is it just like, you've got to, you know, create a good picture, you know, a frame with stuff in it, but you can do things after the fact that gives it meaning. And, and then from there, it was just like off to the races. I went to the university of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. We had a student television station at the student television station. We had a show called music scene, which oh. was live concerts. And did you like music? Like, I loved just, music. Okay, I was, so, I was playing in a band. Okay. So growing up, like even though you thought you were going to go to school for, mm-hmm. it was law, right? Law, yeah, and then yeah. you're doing debate. So even though you thought that you were going to go down that route, music was still a part of your life. Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. I had a little high school pop punk uh, screamo Christian band called the Angry Canadians. Wow. We played like Cornerstone, Florida. We did like some mega church up in Ohio and then just like a lot of local North Carolina shows. Damn. Um, And so then I get into college. I'm still playing with that band. I get to work on this show, music scene, S-E-E-N. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Wink, wink. Uh, And... Up until that point, the show had done a really good job of filming local bands at like Cat's Cradle in Carborough or Disco Rodeo in Raleigh. And and no shade to the the old producers, but they were just thinking very local. Yeah. It was their vibe. Yeah. And this was like 05, 06. So the like the height of like Tooth and Nail Tour. Wow. Yeah. Um yeah. Gym Class Heroes had just put out that first album. Dude. So like I was like, we have five or six top of the line cameras. Yeah. I mean, not top, top of the line, but like the best you could probably get your Quality, hands on. Quality, more than you're going to buy as a high schooler. Yeah, definitely. And then we have the equipment and then we're going to broadcast to, I don't, I think it's 30,000 students. Wow. And so I just started emailing every band and label. Yeah. Basically saying, hey, we will come interview the band. We'll film the live concert with five cameras. We'll give you the edited footage. Wow. You can do whatever you want with it. We just want to be able to air it. And so that opened some really cool doors. I was able to shoot Mute Math Whoa. at uh, Cat's Cradle in Carborough. Wow. And Paul Meany, the, the, Paul Meany, the lead singer, recorded it in Pro Tools, mixed it and mastered it and gave it to me to pair with our video. Oh, wow. So I have like this unreleased Mute Math concert That's from 06. Crazy. Uh, the audio of it. And it, it, I mean, it, to me, it kind of sounds better than some of the albums. That's There's just like cool. an energy to it. What um, an Easter egg to have. And so, yeah, so that just like segued. I did a documentary about, I did a documentary about a band called Sullivan on Tooth & Nail Records. Okay. Uh, Phil Chamberlain was the drummer. He was, his brother is Spencer and Under Oath. Um, they're a North Carolina band. They were recording their new album with James Paul Wisner in Florida. Yeah. 
So I flew down there, filmed that, like skipped class. And, and at that time too, James Paul Wisner was doing some crazy shit. I mean, I don't want to like say like it's not crazy now. Like he's amazing. Yeah, I've yeah. had bands work with him, but that era yeah. of like if it came from James Paul Wisner. Oh, it was like ooh. right after because what did he do? He did the Paramore stuff. Paramore, I believe he did like that crazy Under Oath album. Yeah. Yeah. So they were just like they were in his house in Orlando. I'm 19 at this point. I flew down there and crashed like on the couch, was like editing little webisodes for them as they're recording. We ended up making a full documentary. And in the middle of making the documentary, they broke up. Oh, what the fuck? Like the album came out. I toured with them a little bit um, and they broke up. I mean, I, I don't remember all the details and it wasn't, you know, my situation to be in. Yeah. But it made for a pretty compelling documentary. Wow. And I stayed friends with all those guys. I ended up living with Phil for a little bit. And then Zach, their bass player, um, he was at Carolina as well as a student. We were kind of like, let's start making some stuff together. So he introduced me to the guys in Bayside, uh -huh. which was my first paying job in the music industry. So by this point, like it was pretty clear to you, you weren't going to do the law thing and like, oh. you had enough of a bug with this and you're, you're in. Oh, I, I ditched law as soon as I took that class. Okay. Okay. Like I had applied to Georgetown and George Washington and American and <clears throat> was like, Nope. Wow. Carolina is in state so I can afford it. Yeah. It's cheaper. I can keep playing with my band. Yeah. And they have a decent like media production program. Whoa. In hindsight, like I should have gone to like school of the arts, which is like a film school or maybe tried to do, you know, SoCal or New York or something. But I think at that age, like very few people have like the, the foresight to be like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it. Like, I, I think for me, it was like figuring out as I went. You were just following what was exciting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. So you, you had, and you had access to that equipment, which made it so good. The equipment helped, um, having collaborators, you know, other people who are really into it. Like we, we made the show into a really fun thing with like interviews and like, we ended up shooting a music video for my band. Oh, cool. Through the show, which was the first music video I directed. Um, and yeah. And so then the, the, the abbreviated version is, Went on tour with Bayside. Yeah. It was on the starting lines final tour. Wow. Um, and did documentary for stuff for Bayside. They were out with Four Years Strong and Steel Train. Cool. I got paid 500 bucks for a month. Holy shit. I turned in like an hour of finished content. Wow. It went on the, the Walking Wounded Gold Edition DVD re-release of the album. Oh, like an hour of like, you can watch an hour of DVD. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's like all these webisodes, gear walkthroughs, and then like a an hour long. Was, I guess it was two parts. Like one was 30, one was 15. One of my favorite things is like there's footage in that of Anthony like um, basically showing me how he wrote a song. Whoa. Like so. <coughs> so we're in the back of like the tour bus and he's got like, this is 08. Mm -hmm. so he's got a little like... Uh, IO device like you've got there for the audio. Yeah. And like garage band. Yeah. And it's just he's like doing his own harmonies, playing he pl he played it through on acoustic. He then played it through and sang lead vocals and then the harmonies. 
and I edited together this little thing that's just like him being like, and that's how you write a song. And that's still like to this day, one of my favorite things I've gotten to like capture and, and put together was just watching an artist that I love make something. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you at what point do you think in all of this, like something clicked where you're like, this is special. I can create something special, like a moment like that, that's mm-hmm. special. But did it click to you or was it more just like, Oh, I'm having fun filming this or. I, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I was definitely having fun. I think for me, I just, I always, I got value and worth from like, creating things and so for me it was like here i am getting to kind of contribute to something it's but but also at the same time it's like my own thing yeah you know what i mean like i think i think what i enjoy about the music related content is it's whether it's a music video or a documentary or an interview or a live thing is you're collaborating with somebody like i'm bringing video to it but there's already like content there there's already something there to latch on to um and i think i just really enjoy that collaboration that's cool i like that um because i mean fast forward to you know recent years and like getting to edit bigger music videos and stuff for other directors and other artists there is like this you can elevate a piece of music with video Oh, absolutely. Just like you can elevate video with music or how did I say that? <laughs> you can do it both ways. Right. Like a good video can make a song more impactful. Yes. Just like great music can make video more impactful. I mean, dude, I know you talk about this video a lot, but like this is America. The song came out. It was great. Then you saw that video and <laughs> like that, that was the thing, right? It was, it was like people weren't saying, oh, did you hear this is America? Right, people right. were saying, did you see the music video for this is America? And like it matched the song. The song's great, but right, right. when you can nail it perfectly, when they go together super perfectly, it feels like you've made a little moment of music. Totally. And I think that, I mean, again, jumping way ahead, I think that's like the cool place we're in right now. With all these things, having so much, with, with there just being so much access to technology, to cameras, two outlets of distribution i think you're just there's more opportunities for like those magical moments i mean there's more opportunities for noise yeah oh absolutely but there's something kind of magical about like i've talked about it way too much but waking up the morning this is america like that sunday after it came out that saturday night and my mom called me i was like hey ernie that uh that video you said you're working on last week was in my google news alerts uh-huh. And I, and for the longest time, like I've been doing music videos since 07 when I was 22 and now I'm 32 or no, wait, since I was 20. Yeah. Now I'm 32, 12 years, uh, math. <laughs> um, it was always the thing with my parents are like, when are you going to do a Britney Spears music video? <laughs> and I was like, probably never. Um, cause she doesn't make stuff anymore really. But there was just something satisfying about like making something and it like it crossing over that threshold into as soon as your parents validate it. Like it's because <laughs> it's the funniest standards with parents. They don't understand. So you don't know what to them is going to be a big deal to my parents. The tonight show is the biggest thing in the world and it's yeah. pretty big, 
But like anything having to do with the Tonight Show, it doesn't matter. You could win any award. You could do anything. You could sell out an arena tour. Right. But if you play the Tonight Show, you've made it. You've made it. So that's funny that like that's your parents' thing. Yeah, like it was Britney Spears music video. Yeah, my dad's like, "Why don't you do a Britney Spears video?" That's so funny. Um, but, but yeah, so I guess do you want me to just continue? Well, no. So what I was gonna say, like, I, I was just do? curious of that point, you know, because I I've never had that eye. Like I love again, I love being mm-hmm. a part of music and seeing where you fit in. And I I always looked at music to me was I can't play at all, like, right, right, at right. all. So when I first got involved with anything in music feeling like I was bringing value to people that I really respected and I was helping and I was doing things Mm -hmm. that they couldn't do. I was like, this is fucking cool. I have a place in this and I don't like, I can't play, but I I have a place Uh that was really special. So hearing it from your creative side is Uh just interesting to me. I think it's, I I had a similar thing. I mean, I played in that band, right? I wouldn't sit like we were never on a label. We never like did an official press pressing of a CD. Um, oops, sorry. but there was something I realized early on with the video stuff. It's going to sound, um, conniving, but it's not meant to be, but it was like, if I'm in one band, mm-hmm. one band has to succeed for me to succeed. Mm-hmm. One of one. But if I'm making stuff for bands, mm-hmm. video content, you know, 90 out of a hundred could fail and I can still make a living and, and make things and do things. Yeah. It was like a, a way to kind of hedge my bets. Yeah. But also I think there's something about if you're in a band or if you're an artist, it is singular and it's that like the greater, the risk, the greater reward is right. Like yeah, when really. you really make it as an artist or as a band, you really make it. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, I just, I, I love making things. And so the prospect of like, I could make something for this band. I can go over here and make something for this brand. I can make something over here for this thing. You know, it was just like, I can by, constantly be making things. By doing this, you could make more things. So yeah. you were happier. Yeah, I could. I I enjoy the process so much. I was like, I'm never gonna have downtime. Yeah, like there's yeah. not gonna ever be a label cycle that I have to wait on. Right. This is an interesting thing, and it's slightly sidebar, but I, I love where the music scene is at right now because a lot of these kids that grew up looking and admiring bands, mm-hmm. looking up to bands, um, are now able to make beats and music on their computers and basically make a solo project. Right. And I think that's the fucking coolest thing ever because so many kids and so many bands have failed because there's the one person that's more driven and then the others don't commit. Right. So it's cool to see creatives have like a real chance right now being able to self-produce music and all that. So Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, interesting. I was watching, uh, I wish I could remember it right now, but there's a YouTube channel and it's just a, a guy who talks about like, the state of the scene and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and his hypothesis in this video was the, the idea that like we've gone through like two or three pop punk, like mainstream pop punk waves of success. Yeah. Like I think he started at like, I don't know, late nineties green day into blink One Eighty Two stuff. Mm-hmm. It kind of fade, faded away for a bit. And then you had all time low that kind of faded away. Now we're on like this third wave of stuff. Um, but his thing was that like right now we would be having a fourth wave of it, Mm -hmm. but instead 
we have dudes with face tattoos. Yeah. SoundCloud rappers. Yeah. That like, if you think about where all of that genre of stuff is. Right. And if you took away the trap hi-hats. Yes. And put like a, a somewhat distorted telly. Right. And like Mark Hoppus scooped mid uh, scooped bass stuff. Yeah. It's just a pop punk song. Well, it's so funny, right? Like you say like face tattoos, SoundCloud rap, and that's like. I feel like the old school way to look at it. I'm not calling you out, but yeah, I feel yeah. like people don't really know what to call it. Right. And like, I've gotten super excited about it. You know, yeah. that's so much of what I do with version three, like uh-huh. all that label stuff and all the touring stuff yeah, that yeah. I do. And I love the fact that you don't really know what to call it. And it doesn't really fit in a genre. And no. it's not hip hop, but it's not like, it's not emo rap and it's not pop punk. No. But to me, it's just like, this is, what's next like this is kids making music that's real to them and it's real it's authentic and i whatever the fuck that is i love it yeah yeah, so it's a bit of a sidebar but i just i think that it's cool to hear you as a creative wanting to create and this was Mm -hmm. your avenue and your medium of doing it yeah totally i mean it was i often say like i don't know what else i would do (laughs) yeah well it's cool that you found it and just kept going too so tell me okay so you keep doing this. You have the equipment and the, util- uh, the you have the resource uh-huh. of the school and all the cameras. Yep. You start touring with Bayside. You do that. You're still living in North Carolina. Yep. So, so Zach Harwood and I, the bassist from Sullivan, started Iron Curtain Media. And we basically hit the ground running um, with all of his buddies. He had a lot, of, a lot of relationships at Tooth and Nail and Solid State. And then... Uh, other you know just bands they had toured with and so we started pitching stuff our first video together was for farewell mm-hmm. on epitaph was for, for farewell on epitaph records what did we have it was it, it was 2009 we had a we rented a red one wow it was like a five thousand dollar video which was the most money i'd ever been paid for anything <laughs> um but it was just like it, there were so many things we had to figure out. Um, the footage could only be transcoded. This is inside baseball talk. The footage could only be transcoded on an Intel-based Mac, and I had like a old Power Mac. Yeah. And so my brother had a Mac Mini at college with him. Yeah. And to transcode the footage took us a week. Oh. Literally a week. Oh. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, we delivered that video. The label like wanted it on tape, so we had to like pay for a tape layoff. Just wow. things that like we didn't even know were things. Right. Um, we looked at the contract, and there was just stuff that like was left remnants of uh, a different era in music videos. Yeah, totally. And so, and so from there, we just we we got to a place like my rent in North Carolina. My rent was I think it was three or four hundred dollars a month. Incredible. And. We could do a five thousand dollar music video, pay ourselves each a thousand bucks, yeah, and then put three thousand into production, yeah. And by putting that three thousand dollars into the production, I knew how to edit. I ended up running camera a lot. Um, we were able to make cool stuff and kind of pro, uh, developed a name for ourselves as like the guys who can get it done. I was going to ask you that being the biggest job that you had taken on there, like was there, were you scared at all or were you ready? Did you feel ready? Um, I got out of college in the middle of the, re- of the recession. I, I worked at a cell phone store for six months mm-hmm. and then I worked in my, um, uncle's 
uh, warehouse mm-hmm. in the summer in North Carolina. Wow. And I was very ready to not be doing that. And so we actually, I actually misspoke. Farewell was our first label video. We reached out to two or three local bands and we're basically like, if you guys foot the costs, we will do your video for you. Yeah. And I like snuck into my friend's college's uh, computer lab to edit them. Tight. Uh, I totally forgot about that. That's awesome. And so, so we did these three little videos and they, I mean, they were performance centric, you know, it was like the running joke was like, we just need debris. Like one of the videos had like paper flying around or whatever, you know, it's like, you just need something. Yeah. Performance and, and something performance and, and debris of some kind. Yeah. And so we, we did that and then we're able to like use that as a reel mm. to get the farewell video which led to an inhale exhale video, which then kind of snowballed into, I ended up doing, I think almost 30 music videos before I moved to LA. Wow. So I was based out of North Carolina. I was traveling up and down the East coast. We did children 18, three up in Minnesota. We did uh, a lot of write this down stuff. I did two of Attila's first videos. And that's when we met, right? That's that's about the time we met was was somewhere in the middle of that. I I think what it was is I did a Rocky Loves Emily video yep. in Detroit or in Pontiac. Yep. And then Jimmy Filipovsky came out because he was friends with Rocky Loves Emily. Yeah, he was filming for them. And then he knew you guys. Yep. And so it was me and Jimmy, like, forget how if he produced and I directed or we co-directed. I forget what it was, but we came down to Florida. Yep. Phil Chamberlain, who was the drummer in Sullivan, mm-hmm. his then wife did hair and makeup. Wow. I didn't realize that. And like Phil drove us around because we didn't have a car down there and we crashed at Spencer's house. Wow. And we made it work. We made it work. That's so sick. Okay. Wow. So you did that. You built that up. You started doing videos for bands and mm-hmm. that was life for several years right yeah this was like 09 to 2012 so two and a half ish three years and then la happens and then la happens i was looking at moving to atlanta they have a great film yeah production market um had friends down there who were doing like walking dead and like some of the bigger productions and i was like okay i could do atlanta i've shot there enough and like i know the city and family used to go down there for like church stuff and then I had friends in LA from college. I was like, well, let me, let me fly out to LA and see what, you know, see, see if, see if there's any friends with some opportunities. Cause I had come out, I interned at MTV in London, summer of 07 in college. Tight. And then in 08, I interned with a fashion photographer in New York named Nicholas Routson. We came out to LA for two weeks to do some shoots. And I remember being like, Oh, this place is dope. Cause like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like LA is one of the few cities in America that is just like hated by people. It's easy to hate. Like, like there's people who are like, yeah, I don't really like New York. I couldn't live there. Or yeah, Chicago's too cold or whatever. But there's people who have never been to LA who are like, I hate Los Angeles. Mm. It has like a stigma. Yeah. And I think I was guilty of that. I, I like it. I had put it in my head that like, Oh, that's where the film industry is. I might have to be there, but like New York would be more real or something. Yeah, it's so interesting with LA. Like 
I think that it is so easy to hate and from afar, like, you know, you hear about all like the downsides and all that. Um, but I like that you're just like, yo, this place is cool because there is that other side of it. Well, I was just, I, I think I was at that age. I had just like turned 21. The fashion photographer I was interning for had a friend whose dad literally owned an NBA team. Okay. And so whenever we went out places, she wouldn't let us pay for anything. Oh, wow. So you had like kind of a cool look into it. I had a very like specific look into LA and I was like, okay, I could, I could see myself there. So fast forward, I'm trying to figure out like what, what's the next move. Mm-hmm. If LA is the end goal, maybe Atlanta is just for a couple of years. I have friends there. Um, flew out to LA, met up with some old college friends and a buddy of mine kind of offhand after we had dinner or drinks was like, I could probably get you a job if you like, if you wanted. So I get back to North Carolina. This is September of 2012. Three weeks later, I, I have a job. Wow. Working reality television as a night assistant editor. Okay, so now here's where you have to explain to me because I don't know like the ranks and all that. Yeah, yeah. Is that cool? Or is that like, do you know like, this is, you like this is a grind, but it'll pay off? So this is an entry level position. Okay. 6 p.m. to 4 a.m. Fuck. Just like <laughs> gnarly. But it's a guaranteed $900 a week. Tight. Which is more money than I had ever made. I think my last like tax returns in uh, before I moved to L.A., I think I made like eight or 12 grand that year or something. Oh, wow. So, yeah, like rent's cheaper, but still you're not. I'm, I'm scraping by, you know. Um, I have, you know, friends and family, people taking care of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was, so this was like an insane amount of money in okay. my mind. So to you, you're like, okay, cool. This is an entry into something very real. There's money there. There's money. I mean, effectively, like I was looking at like, okay, I've got to save up for six months to make this move. Mm-hmm. And now I don't. Oh, okay. Cause most, most of my friends who had moved, most of the stories I had heard was like, you need a buffer. You're going to suffer for three months. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to find something. It's going to be a little bit better but you're still gonna suffer and then you know you're gonna grow into it and so this i saw as like an opportunity to to skip a couple steps i feel very lucky that uh my friend was able to get me that job um and so yeah so the skipping the boring parts my car had broken down so i didn't have a car so i ended up flying out with with basically two carry-ons wow um, and I disassembled my computer that I edited with Holy shit. into parts and oh left the case in North Carolina. Oh my God. So you brought like motherboard and graphics, motherboard, card, graphics just card. like everything's like in a suitcase around clothes. in a suitcase in a box. Fucking sick. And a friend of mine had a friend who let me sublet for a month. Yeah. I was then able to find a place that I could sublet for three months. And then my girlfriend and I at the time found another, we found another apartment and, uh, moved into there. And so I was working nights. Um, I was 25 turning 26 mm-hmm. and was interning during the day at a music video production company. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were doing a lot. I was doing a lot. Um, that was, I was at Anthem Films with DJ Bronner. Oh, shit. Yeah. Another friend. And uh, back when he was running Anthem out of his basement. And I ended up just like helping out with edits and a couple shoots, you know, just kind of general stuff. And then, um, so 
at that point, can I ask another question? Yeah. yeah. So you had a slight, like you'd been exposed a little bit to television, right? Mm -hmm. But then you also were doing music videos and like you still like DJ was doing music videos. Mm -hmm. You come from doing music videos. Was there a moment at all of like, yo, I'm doing the wrong thing. Like TV's fucking sick. Or was it the opposite where you're like, God, this TV shit's a grind. Like, how can I just do videos? So for the first six months of TV, it was reality TV. Yeah. It was, it was such great shows like Redneck Island on CMT. Incredible. Or we did a pilot called Babes on a Bus. <laughs> I kid you not. Um, <laughs> so like that was not fulfilling me creatively. It was paying my bills. Yeah. But not very fulfilling creatively. I was lucky though that around the time I had worked there for 100 or so days, which is the amount of days you need to join the union. Oh, cool. Uh, another college friend was editing a show called Eagle Heart on Adult Swim. Mm. for Konoko Productions, which is Conan O'Brien's production company. Eric had done some VFX for me back in the day on the farewell video, and then he DP'd my inhale-exhale video. But he had gone on to intern at Absolutely Productions, which is Tim and Eric's production company. Cool. Has since gone on to, like, I mean, he directed the new Mr. America uh, movie that Tim Heidecker's in. I just had the tra trailer drop today. Oh, wow. So he um, went on to like do some cool shit. He's doing great things. Um, he was like, hey, Ernie, I need an assistant editor. I'm yeah. cutting the show Eagle Heart. Can you come do it? And I was like, I think so. But that was kind of, I feel like my life has been these milestones of just like kind of taking a leap of faith. Yes. Um, or a, a risk and, and it paying off. Um, I kind of had, I kind of had guaranteed employment at this reality company. Yeah. And leaving to do this show was going to be a four month or five month contract yeah, with no guarantee of another season. The way television works is you're brought on freelance basically to work on a season. Yeah. And maybe you get brought back for the next one. Right. So you commit to a season and hope for the best. Yeah. So I did that, but it meant I got to join the union. I got health insurance. Oh, sick. A bump in pay. It just like, it opened a lot of doors that allowed me to then go on to do Comedy Bang Bang on IFC. Oh, cool. Which I left in another similar kind of jump uh, when I heard about the Atlanta pilot. Whoa. Uh, which was leaving what was going to be like another year on Comedy Bang Bang guaranteed, leaving that for six weeks of work on Atlanta. Wow. But I, I heard it was Hero Mariah directing. I heard it was Donald writing and starring. And I was just like, I have to be a part of this. Yeah. Hero at that point was a music video director I really looked up to. Yeah, I was going to ask because I know he's rather accomplished now and more well known. But mm -hmm. like at that time, because I don't know that world as well. And that's why like I love hearing you tell these stories and like putting these things together. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, Hero at that point, he had done a, several Childish Gambino videos. Yeah. Which everybody should go watch. They're a master class in, in, in video elevating songs. Yeah. Um, he had done all of that, and then he he did some stuff for was it Frank Ocean at the Grammys? I'm trying to remember. I I knew him basically from his Childish Gambino videos. His he did a video for Spoon that was amazing, dope. Um, some Earl Sweatshirt stuff. Just was like killing like every. I literally got excited every time I saw that he had a new video out. Yeah. Cause I was like, what's this going to be? Okay. So then when you see that hero is working on Atlanta yeah. and then Donald Glover is writing, like that was enough 
It was um, a no risk where you're like, okay, fuck, it's time. <laughs> it was a no brainer. I mean, okay, okay. I mean, I I had the childish uh, mixtapes and stuff back in like 2010, 20, 2011. Yeah, freaks and geeks. Uh, or- yeah. Yeah, Freaks and Geeks. That's what it was called, right? The first one with the leaves? That was like the first single off that one. Okay. I don't know. It's all a blur. My memory is terrible. But no, I I mean, I had, like, I always really enjoyed, like, witty, lyrical rap stuff. Yeah. And his earlier stuff is just nothing but pun after pun after pun. Oh, dude. And and so, yeah, I just, I, I heard it was Donald and Hero, and I was like, yeah, I have to do that. Yeah. Um. And then it just so happened that the post producer on that was also doing baskets. Mm-hmm. Next, my friend from Eagleheart was editing baskets, and so it was like a no brainer for me to just hop onto that for season one. Then Atlanta got the season one pickup, so I just segued right into Atlanta season one. Baskets out of season two went straight on to basket season two, and then Atlanta wasn't going to start immediately after basket season two. Uh, so I hopped on Barry for okay. HBO. Okay, can I pause and ask another question? Yeah, yeah. These are shows that like everybody knows. This isn't like you know, like we can talk about bands and music videos, and we can be like, "Dude, the streets were sick." But like, <laughs> when we get to the point of talking about Atlanta and Barry and Baskets and Adult Swim and things like that, those are like very well known. So to you, at that point, are you like, yo, motherfuckers, I just leveled up. Did it feel like a level up? Like, what is life at that point? Um, it's a great question. I mean, I think there is that, like, weird thing with humans where you just get used to stuff. Yeah. Um, but there I, had I, to have been a moment, right? No, no. I knew the entire time. Like, I'm, I think, I think what, what, what made it palatable is not the right word because that makes it sound like it wasn't good. But what, what, what really made it interesting was like, not only were the shows good, the content, like the quality, the, the comedy, the notoriety, the critical acclaim, not only was that all like a pluses, Mm -hmm. the crew on all of those shows was awesome. And you knew that, just like did you already know that going into I didn't it? No. know okay. that going into it but like as I got to work on these shows yeah our post production teams the editors the assistant editors the post PA the producers like they all became kind of like family and so it didn't feel I knew it was special I knew it was magical but there was something intimate and like just it, this is just family like Atlanta, like FX flew us all down for the Atlanta premiere for season one. Yeah. In Atlanta at the aquarium. Like the big Atlanta aquarium? Like the downtown? Big, yeah, yeah. Like there's a whale shark behind us uh-huh. as we're having this like after party and like Metro Boomin is DJing. Oh my God. It's like a weird high school dance. Uh-huh. But like we're getting to hang out and it's like us, Hero, Donald, and the cast of Atlanta. Yeah. As the post team, which is just, it doesn't happen. And so I think for me, it, it like, I go back to that palatable word. It, it just, it made it feel normal. I knew it was special. I knew it was extraordinary. I was like stoked and happy to be a part of it, yeah. but it just like felt like home. And so I, I don't know. That's like I, a weird way to put it. Dude, no, like I paused there for a second and like I looked down and like really related to that because I 
so deeply get and relate to that yeah. because, and you and I both kind of came from like a very DIY, low budget music scene, whatever. Mm-hmm. As I've continued to just grind and follow passion, I've been able to work with different people and be, become closer with certain friends that have had a real level of success. Mm-hmm. And it's this strange feeling of like the more accomplished. I mean, and I'm sure there are exceptions, but some of the most accomplished people that I'm most inspired by and impressed by, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm working with you right Mm -hmm. now. It does feel so normal because they're so good at welcoming people and they're all the ego goes away. It's like as if it gets like, as you get more legit, the people are just that much more chill, at least from my experience. And it sounds like you're almost explaining exactly that. It's the people are more chill and, and it just, it feels like it's just meant to be. And so there is no like, there's no need for it to be like, I'm hot shit and you're hot shit. And you know, it's just like at that point, everybody's like, yo, we're eating. We're good. We're just here. We're having fun. We're making something that we're passionate about. And we're like, I mean, that's what, like one of the reasons I I'll sing heroes praises until the day I die. Like he has such a knack for like getting the best out of people because he values your input. Yeah. Like working on that show we would do screenings of the episodes together and like talk through it. And like the post PA gets to have a say. That's so cool. And uh, I mean, can you, can you tell me too? like, again, sorry, I'm like pressing you with all these new questions, but it's so like cool to me. (laughs) So I know music videos for bands. I know Mm -hmm. that setup and all that. And the director's doing a lot and there's so much going on. Yeah, Yeah. So then to like get to TV and to work with hero, like what's that? Because he he directed Atlanta, right? Am I most of them? Okay, I think like seven out of ten. Okay. Donald does a couple, and there's like a guest director for a couple. So what's that process for somebody that doesn't know film and who doesn't know uh, just like to work on on a team with that many people? Oh yeah. Um, so they'll they'll shoot in Atlanta. They'll shoot like forty or forty five days. Yeah. We get the footage here in L.A. Mm-hmm. As an assistant editor, my job is to bring that footage in, organize it, prep it yep. for the editors. The editors then dig through the footage. They find their best takes. Yeah. They craft an editor's cut. That cut is then given to the director. The director then gets to come in and weigh in and say like, hey, I wanted it this way, or let's try this take, or this, that, the other. Um, and then normally it would go to the producer's. Once the producers have signed off on it, it it goes a producer in this case in TV is like a showrunner, head writer, kind of the director of the show, if not of the episode. Mm-hmm. Then it would go to the network. The network would give notes, and then it's locked, and then it's ready for air. So that's a, that's a lot of people. That's a there's team. a lot of people. What's great about the shows I've gotten to work on is, well, on Baskets, Jonathan Kreisel directs every episode. He's a like an old school absolutely productions guy has gone on to do he create co-created Portlandia. Oh cool. So he directs every episode of Baskets. So he has such say in the creative that he he's also a writer. Yeah. On Atlanta, you have Hero and Donald who have like the greatest collaborative relationship ever. Yeah. And then you have Donald starring in it and Donald writing it. Yeah. So all these shows that I've gotten to work on have had kind of not singular visions, but very streamlined visions for what the show should be. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that. So like the Donald and hero and like that close dynamic, Mm -hmm. that's gotta be, that's gotta feel different, right? 
Totally. Yeah. And I think um, like even like Barry was this way, like Alec Berg and Bill Hader created it together. Yeah. And then they write it together and then Bill acts in it. So yeah. again, it's just like this singular thing. And I think there's a fun segue here back to music, back to music videos. Yeah. A video like This Is America worked. I mean, it worked because of a lot of things. But one of the reasons it worked is Donald and Hero were on the same page. Yeah. And operated out of a place of trust. Yeah. And made exactly what they wanted to with intention. Yeah. And like what happens on so many music videos, um, I just got told two days ago that one that I had cut the, they went through the entire pipeline of VFX and the label changed their mind and wants to go a different direction. Really? So the label rep has brought in a new editor. Like they didn't even come to me to be like, Hey Ernie, you want to take another pass? They've brought in another editor. This happens all the time. Oh my God. But, um, I think when things are streamlined, when there's just a, a congruence uh, like when there's just like a, a shared vision yeah and intention to something like awesome things get made that's cool it's when we live in this it's when we move to this place of like fear and insecurity and like i need to get my say in to prove my worth to the label and you need to get your say in and this manager is coming in trying to like i had a video very early on in my career where the artist got a new manager in the middle of us doing post. Oh my God. And that manager tried to scrap the video. Oh really? To just be like, I'm the manager now. I didn't get this project going. Yeah. This is the wrong direction for this artist. Right. Just to almost like prove something to prove something. And I think that like in my experience, when, when I've seen that happen, like that's when things get messed up. Yeah. It's when people are on the same page and, and care about the same things and like, I don't know. I mean, it's maybe it's like bands too, right? Like yeah, if no. this lead singer is fighting with the drummer, like you're not going to make good music. No, no, totally. And again, like, it's just cool. Like I see you like lighting up as you talk about that. And like, it's cool to hear that it further reiterates when you have the true creative vision and people are having fun with it, even at these crazy levels, mm -hmm. that's where that special stuff happens. Totally. I, 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 again, going back to like this idea of how Hero kind of runs the ship there, like everybody has a say or everybody gets to express yeah. an opinion. And when I get to express an opinion, I care more. Mm -hmm. And when I care more, I do better. I think that's so universal, right? Like, like, that's it's it's got to be universal. Like, <laughs> um, and, and so I, I think like anytime I've gotten to work with a creator or a creative or somebody who fosters and supports the people they work with, you're just going to get better work. That's so fucking cool. And, and that's, I, I try to do that as, as much well, as I can on my, my next, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My next question for you is like, okay, cool. So you have all this background, you've done all these videos, then you get these sick opportunities, you know, when to make the right jumps, you hear about Atlanta hero, all that. You're like, I'm right. in, you go, you do it. Now you've experienced all of that. You've been a part of all of that. Right, so right. you get to do work, quote unquote, I did air quotes for the listener. <laughs> Uh, and then you still are creative Ernie that's doing your own thing, directing videos. Has that inspired you? Do you think that you have leveled up by being around people like that and seeing that process? I, I, I think it would be impossible not to, Yeah, to, to be inspired by, by people like that and, and to get to witness those things. I think for me, and I'm 
incredibly biased. <laughs> but I think for me, like doing this editing path, like the last seven years of like really digging into editing has done nothing but make me a better director. That's cool. Um, if I was to go be a camera PA or an art department you know, person or, or one of those set positions. Yeah. Like I would go work those days mm-hmm. on a show like Atlanta. I'd work 45 days. Wow. I would only, only interact with my department mm-hmm. only as much as they need me to. Mm-hmm. But by being in the edit on a show like Atlanta, I work six months. Damn. I'm in the Bay with Donald or with hero or with our editors or whoever. Yeah. I'm there watching all the footage. I'm there seeing things get translated from the script to the screen to the finished edit. And I have a seat at the table in a way that I would never have if I was just a production assistant on set or, you know, in the assistant director's department or something, you know? And so for me, I, I get like every day is work, but it's also film school. It's also education. It's a master class in yeah in blocking or coverage or, you know, how to, you know, guide, guide an actor. Um, yeah. I mean, what a, like, I love that, right? Like I love learning from application and mm-hmm. like getting out there and doing it. And what a sick opportunity to learn from people that are so well respected and you respect, you know, like totally. Like, I mean, for me, it's like the secret is to anybody who's creative, who wants to dig into a creative field. In my mind, the secret is like, get as adjacent to that thing as you can. Yeah. Right. Like if you want to be a a producer recording bands, like go work in a studio. Yeah. (laughs) Like make your day in day out. Like the thing that's part of the equation of the thing you want to be doing, you know, like I get hit up about editing. Like, how do you get into editing? Um, I feel like, (laughs) I know it's silly to say it. I, I feel like, oh, that's weird. You don't want my opinion. Um, but then I'm just like downplaying stuff in my own head. Uh, you do want my opinion because you're asking for it um, when somebody's asked me for my opinion. And, and and what I say to them is just like, you have to, you just have to put yourself out there mm-hmm. and like plant those seeds of relationships. Mm-hmm. And like this peer that's, you know, directing little $5,000 videos now that you're going to go edit for, well, hopefully in 10 years or five years or one year, yeah, they're doing $50,000 videos. Yeah. And now you have that relationship and now you have that common language of how you guys collaborate and create things together. But it's all off that initial investment, that initial, you know, like relationship build. And I, I can trace back. I think that's what's crazy. I can literally trace back every opportunity I've had to a seed that was planted, to a, to a relationship that was planted, to, a, to something that was planted. Well, you know what's funny to me is we hear these cliches and we hear this like what feels like generic advice. Yeah. You know, surround yourself by the things you want to do and be patient, pay your dues, all these things, you know, whatever that advice right. is. And it's so easy to just be like, cool, yeah, I get it, but you don't understand my scenario. You don't understand this or like I've heard this a thousand times. Something that I've continuously learned that's become more and more real upon doing this podcast Mm -hmm. is all of that advice ends up holding so much more weight when it's coming from people that I really respect and people that are 
doing the thing, right? Right, right. You can go on Reddit, you can go listen to Gary Vee or all these people, mm. and it is, it's great inspiration. Right. But it really, it holds this different weight when I'm sitting down talking to a friend right. where, you know, I'm not trying to edit or direct, but if I were to look for that advice, mm-hmm. it holds so much more coming from you. And that's exactly what I'm trying to accomplish with the podcast, right? <laughs> right, like, right, yeah. I want people to hear that from some of the people that are doing it best. So I love that. I love hearing No, that. I love, I mean, to me, the I, I used to struggle with like, I don't like bragging. This is your chance. This is I know, me. No, I, you're a guest on my podcast, me... so I get to force you to brag. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> but then I realized that like the people I look up to when they're telling me about their success, I don't. I don't view it as bragging. I view it as inspirational. Yes. You know, I remember being like, I guess this was three or four years ago. I heard about like commercial editors Mm -hmm. and they were making like 10 grand a week Mm. editing. And at no point was I was like, at no point was I like, Oh, that guy's a douche. (laughs) I was like, Holy shit. Like that's something to inspire. Like that's something to aspire to. Maybe I can do that one day. And, and so I think it's just, it's like, I have to reprogram my brain a little bit. My friends will say like that I don't take compliments well. And it's, it's super true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like now I'm just pontificating. <laughs> well, no, like you said it and it's, it is weird and hard to brag about your things. Cause I think at least when I think about myself, if anybody pays me a compliment, it's like, oh yeah, cool. Thank you. Like that genuinely yeah. means so much. I am nowhere near where my full <laughs> capabilities are, like what I want to accomplish. So you're just like, thank you. But like, no, 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 you don't understand this person's killing it. Or, you know, it's like hard to give yourself credit. Well, I want to like, for it. me, it's, I, I want to, I don't want to put like sugar on top of icing. You know what I mean? Like to me, it's, I already feel good enough that I got to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like getting to cut This Is America was already the dream come true. Somebody complimenting me on it is just like, it's too much. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> brother, it's already done. I got it all. Like, like I want the I want the respect of my peers. Yeah. You know, like if I have that, like I'm set and like the compliment from a stranger just I'm like, oh, I'm uncomfortable now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. Well, kind of leading from that, um, Again, I love the I love to do this podcast to think of it doesn't have to be a kid aspiring, right? I want right, this yeah. to be relatable to anybody and I want anybody to draw inspiration from it. But for this little bit, if you could go back to the point of most turmoil or most uncertainty, like you mm. don't really know what you're doing, it feels like it's not going to work, where is that point and what do you tell yourself? Uh, do I want to talk about this? I don't know. You don't have to. Um the, Let's just say I did not finish my college degree. Okay. Um, and so I had moved back home. I was working at the cell phone store, then working at my uncle's uh, warehouse. Mm-hmm. And I remember just feeling like stuck, trapped. Yeah. Um, like I was made for more and it wasn't there. Damn. And I'm trying to think of what, like, what pushed me forward. 
Well, it doesn't even have to be that. What would you tell that version of yourself now? If you can flash back. Oh, I mean like, Hey, it gets better and it's going to be fine. (laughs) But really, right? Like that's, um, yeah, I mean, it all worked out, which I think is like, this is going to sound dumb, but sometimes weirdly more scary when it doesn't like, or at least for my brain, I'm, I'm, I'm quick to be like, well, it's all good. What, where can I poke a hole in it? Um, <laughs> just so pessimistic, your own story that worked <laughs> out and you're like, well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. No, I, I, what would I tell that? I mean, it's what I tell everybody who does stuff creatively is like, you just have to do, um, that the hardest part is, is doing like if you're a writer, it's, it's writing that word. If you're a filmmaker, it's going and taking that camera over there. I mean, like the hardest thing is like doing something creative when there's not a certainty of success. Right. Like that's, that's the hardest thing because like, if, if you told me like, Ernie, just do these things and like, you'll get to work on, you know, your favorite show with awesome people and you'll get to like, I mean, I got, I got to go to Coachella this, this year and like direct Donald's uh, opening intro video and like stay up all night editing it so that we could show it on Friday before he opened Coachella. It was insane. And so yeah, if it was as easy as like, Hey, just do the thing and it's going to, be all your expectations then like everybody would do it like the hardest thing is is i'm gonna go write that song and i don't know if people are gonna like it or if it's gonna sell or if it's gonna connect or anything like that's the hard part yeah and and i would tell so yeah i would tell what is that 20 22 year old ernie 23 year old ernie like just to just to keep doing and and i think that's what i did and i think that's why i'm at where i'm at like taking that job or not taking that job, doing this thing or not doing this thing. It's like, I've just, I've always tried to do to the point of like in recent years, just reflecting on like, I got to figure out where I don't do, you know, I need to like protect myself a little bit, you know, from music videos that get stressful or like contentious or protect myself from overdoing. Yeah. Um, I mean, that answers it. That's, I mean, again, I don't mean to make that dark or sad. Like I I asked that question with the idea of a kid in turmoil or somebody that's thinking about giving up because I know those points and hearing it from people that I respect is always a a motivation to be like, fuck this, I'm going to keep going. Right. Or take whatever inspiration I do. The other question I have is if you are somebody looking to get in a very similar field as Mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah. What is a step that you could do right away? Well, if it's editing, I would I would I would download Adobe Premiere Pro trial, 30-day trial. I would go film some stuff on my iPhone or any phone or any camera I get my hands on and just try slicing stuff together. Um that's step 1. Once that. once you get like your hit your head around how the software works. I would hit up every, you know, no matter where you are, I would find local P 
peers, filmmakers, and I would say, hey, I'll come edit your stuff. Dope. Um, editing's that weird thing that's like not super sexy. Right. And so I've, I've learned this over the years. There's different categories, but there's jobs that are sexy and there's jobs that aren't. Yeah. And the ones that aren't, like if you're good at it, you go pro really quick. Sure. Yeah. You know, like there's not a whole lot of like script supervisors in the amateur realm right like it's a very specific job you don't see too many instagram bios of kids trying to flex with the script supervisor title oh i checked that continuity you know you don't you don't have that um so yeah so editing is one of those one of those places that like not everybody knows what it is or how it works right it's kind of a black box to a lot of people yeah so if you go out there and you say i'm an editor yeah you're going to find people. And and this is like the thing that's going around in like all the podcasts, all the stuff I'm listening to right now. Don't aim. I mean, aim for people out of your league in terms of like people who are further along in their skill and their career. You want to forge those relationships. You want to find a mentor, but what's more crucial is finding your fellow people like not reaching upwards, but reaching outward. Like if you find that director who's, got a great eye and you go in and edit their stuff when they rise you rise and so yeah so yeah if you want to do editing like you got to learn how the software works that's incredible and that's then great advice right there and then and then and then reach out to people if you want to direct i mean it's a similar thing you need to i'm a little biased but i feel like with with directing i feel like you need to know what everybody does hmm you know, what's, what is, what does a DP do? What's a gaffer do? What's a grip do? What, like, obviously you're not going to have all those crew members right away. Yeah. But you just need to, you need to know enough to be dangerous. I learned very quickly with music video stuff that I was directing. I was like, oh man, I want some VFX in this. Mm-hmm. Well, I better go learn some VFX because mm. we don't have money in this $3,000 budget to hire a VFX company. Yeah to put these you know, screens on the wall or this thing in this place. And there's so many resources. It blows my mind just in my lifetime, how we've moved from like no YouTube to YouTube. Yeah. I mean, just QuickTime player, yeah. just the ability to play a video on your computer. Insane. That's in my lifetime. And so we're now at this place where like, if you wanted to, I feel like you could get, you could go to film school online. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's noise, there's trash, there's people who are trying to sell you stuff, but like at the core of it, like the resources are there. Yeah. The technology is there. I love that. And it kind of reminds me of advice my dad once gave me of to be a great executive. You have to be able to do all the positions below you. Yeah. So like before you come in and try to be the boss of somebody, know what everybody's job is. And it kind of sounds like that's what you're saying with directing. Oh, totally. I mean, for me, directing is you are, you're the conductor of the orchestra. Oh. You know, what that Steve Jobs movie is like, what do you do? He's like, I play the orchestra. Yeah. I don't know how to play French horn. I don't know how to play the timpani or whatever, you know, yeah. but I know how to play the orchestra. And that's what a director is like. So the more you can kind of speak trumpet and french horn and drums to people yeah the better director you are you also will protect yourself from like getting the runaround i've watched directors who didn't know a lot about certain areas get pushed around by people yeah oh that's not possible 
it's like no why it's not well, why is it not possible oh interesting um so, so yeah i mean directing but then again i mean directing you have to make something that people care about mm-hmm. wow because people are people are like well when do i get an agent or how do i get this or how do i get a rep or like how do i book a major label video yeah and it's like <clears throat> put yourself in the shoes of the people who would be hiring you yeah and try to think of why they would hire you not why can you how do you find them right like you almost need a calling card i've watched director friends of mine do really well in music videos and and they're able to transition that into commercials because they created something that got buzz online had a vision had a unique perspective and ad agency people they're aware of what comes out they're like you made something dope. We want you to do this thing for Nike now. Yeah. Um, Man, you said a lot right there. Like that's, <laughs> that's like really cool and really helpful. And I really do love that. I think that both points and as I'm thinking about it, it's almost like if you want to, even if you want to be a director, learning editing is probably great because you're going to have so much of that that you're dealing with. And mm-hmm. it really does seem, I love that. I love that you gave actual tangible advice there and it's very logical. And I think that it's almost applicable to other fields too. I think that those things there, you could probably apply to a lot more than just I, editing and directing as I well. I think so. I think there's something about being tenacious. I had a friend move to LA like my second year out here. And in his first two weeks in LA, I think he's, he, he literally sent a thousand emails. Holy shit. Like he figured out how on LinkedIn, if you had enough connections with somebody, you could send them a direct message. He's gone on, he's an agent at CAA now and like reps, sports, people, you know, just huge stuff. And it's all just from that like tenacity and that willingness to kind of take those risks, send those emails. Like we have access to people. I'm listening to a podcast right now called Script Notes and it's two screenwriters. And they're talking about like when they first moved to LA in the 90s, like there wasn't uh, the internet for... um, movie news Mm. you had to read a magazine to see like who got cast in this thing or who what writer was doing this thing it's like we have such a wealth of information we have such a wealth of technology like i know it's cliche but it's like it's yours to not use almost like dude that's too real it's so crazy like even where we're at right now like in your in your bedroom bedroom on these microphones yeah like the recording setup you have access to here just 20 years ago would be mind blowing. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's nuts too. Like it's, that's such a great example. Like it's so accessible. This, I do feel that anybody could do right. Yeah. Like these microphones, this whole setup brand new, probably $500. Yeah. Uh, I borrowed that seven B that's my yeah. friend Phil's seven B. So that's a nice mic. Yeah. Yeah. But like anybody can put this together and figure it out. I had no idea any of this recording software, anything like that. Right. And I put it together by asking friends questions, going on YouTube, finding like a lot of the pieces of advice yeah, yeah. that you said is kind of things that I had to do with this. Yet, even with it being that accessible, so many people wouldn't do it because there's so much available and there's so many what ifs. And it's this wealth of everything and resource. Yeah. You kind of have to have those blinders to be like, all right, what am I trying to do? What am I trying to learn? What right. am I trying to accomplish? Because here we are in a bedroom recording a podcast. Right, right. 
Well, it's that it's that funny thing of like you realize that when everybody has access to the tools, any voice can like make something of quality. Yeah. But then like the quality can be there, but maybe the content's not. Mm. I don't know. I, I just think it's it's I love the democratization of media. I love that you love that. I think that that shows that you're good at what you do. Because I think the people that get upset about it are the people that used to lean on their resource and their fancy tools. Yeah. You lean on those tools and, oh, I've got better quality, so stay away. Yeah. But, like, for me, I love the idea that, like, I I feel a little out of touch with the music industry. But I imagine there's kids. I'm thinking of Owl City, but that's not a good reference. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's kids who make hit records in their bedroom. Oh, dude. I mean, that's what has me the most excited and like, about music that right is now. awesome. It's so sick. It used to be like you had to be found by a manager, and then the manager had to take you to this label, and you had to get a deal. And it was like... Dude, it's completely flipped. Kids kids are making albums and singles and uploading. You can upload so easily, right? Yeah. Like you have TuneCore, DistroKid. You have all these resources. You can make whatever on your laptop. So kids are making music, uploading it, making more money than like signed yeah. artists, turning deals and managers and agents away because they're like, what can you do for me that I haven't done in my fucking bedroom? And that and that goes back to maybe my advice for people who want to direct. Find musicians that speak to you. Oh, cool. You know what I mean? Like, like find that up and coming artist that doesn't have a video yet. You look at the guys who did all the early 21 Pilots videos. I, I forget the production company's name, but they, they like we're just a small production company in Ohio developed this amazing relationship with 21 pilots and went on to make amazing things. Damn. The, the one guy who shoots all the Brockhampton stuff. Yeah. Like those are from relationships. I mean, even hero and Donald, like that relationship started, I think because of the stuff hero did for Frank ocean at the Grammys, Donald saw it, thought it was cool and they became creative collaborators. Dude. There's so much like weird loyalty stuff that it's really get easy to get jaded in the music industry. Yeah. But I think at a certain point, like you just got to lean on those relationships. Dude. The and thing, if you're just getting started, like finding your person, that thing that you said of like, don't look upward, look outward. Yeah. That was so powerful to me because it's so easy to look for the shortcuts and to look at the people of like, Oh, if only I could work with this person, they're so big. Right. Whereas, okay, cool. You can chase that forever or you can find your outward. You can find the people around you that you believe in that have similar visions yeah. and then just focus on making the best fucking thing possible. You said it's like, it's almost like being back in high school, right? Like, there were those kids who were like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with the seniors. Yeah. And then there was the kids who like really dug into their, their peer group. And like one day you will be a senior, like yeah. and you all will be. Um, yeah. Uh, Bro, that says it. That's cool. I mean, I, I won't, I'm not going to take credit for inventing that. I've heard that on several things. Well, no, but that's, it's but just, it's a way it's to, awesome. <laughs> obviously I hadn't heard it. Right. Like by us continuing to talk about these concepts, more and more people. I just think aware. it's, I just think it's such a, it's such a powerful thing to to find your peers, to find those. Cause they're, they're going to be the people that give you advice and pointers about what's current and what's like, Oh, I just, I mean, I have buddies, editor buddies and we're always talking to each other about like the rate for this or the, how did you navigate this project or this thing? Or 
a, you know, a grumpy producer, you know, like you you need those, you need that network of support. That's so fucking cool. I love that dude. I, I feel like that's such a great place to leave it. And I'm so happy that we got to sit down and talk about this and yeah, I got to hear <laughs> that part of the story. Cause really like we had kind of, when you moved to LA, I didn't get here till much later. Yeah. Yeah. So there was this gap where we fall out of touch and to hear you just grind <laughs> and do that and make it work and get to where you're at now is so sick. It's so inspiring. And then at the tail end of this, like all of that advice I think is so universally applicable I'm fired up right now. Like I'm trying to do shit. This is cool. You just got to do stuff. Got to do stuff. I mean, for me, it's, it's the, what's that book? Uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. They they talk about this cycle of inspiration and I I'll steal this all day because I love it. But the idea is if, if inspiration is a circle yep, and you have like, okay, I get inspired. I do stuff. I make something. That's the circle. Mm hmm. For a lot of people, they think like, okay, I've got to get inspired, mm-hmm. then I'll do something, then I'll make something. But the secret is you can hop into any part of that thing and the cycle will continue. So you can kind of jumpstart it. You do something, you've made something, and now you're inspired. That's cool. And then you do more, and then you make more, and then you're inspired. That's so cool. Damn, dude. Well, thank you so much yeah, for first, doing man. this. This was awesome. <laughs> this was so awesome. So I really appreciate it. Of course. I'm glad to be here. And and I, I feel like um, if anybody listening wants to reach out, like I'm always down to. Oh, my God. Yes. Where can people find you? Where can they find me? Um, at Burgers Never Say Die <laughs> in Silver Lake. Oh, the I best. thought that was a social media handle. No, no, and I was no, like, no. what? No, the best, the best burgers in LA. No, um, damn son. No, my, uh, my stuff's just, um, directed by Ernie on Instagram and Twitter. And then, um, the website is I am Um, <coughs> I'm actually not following on anybody on Instagram right now as a way to, uh, try to cut down on my usage of the app. I love that. But, uh, I, I post a lot of dog photos there of my dog. But people could find you, DM yeah, you, ask questions, yeah. whatever. Yeah. My my email's on my website. Nice. And I'm happy to, you know, I find that it's hard to, like, find time to get in coffee in person or anything. But if anybody has a question, I'm always down to be a sounding board. Um, I know that for me, the people in my life who have done that for me in the past, it was very helpful. Yep. And I'm appreciative and I just want to pay that forward. That's really cool of you. I feel like I always try to do that as well. And you can always kind of tell the questions that actually yeah. mean something first. Like, bro, put me on. And yeah. Like, All right. Well, what are you asking for? I, 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 I yeah. can't put you on. Put, have somebody put me on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks, man.